John perform the purification ceremony. While the people were coming to gift of goodwill for the ceremony, creator sets free came also. Then the ceremony was performed on him. And while he was praying, the sky opened up and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on him. A voice from the spirit world above spoke like distant thunder. You are much loved son who makes my heart glad. We're actually gonna skip the rest of chapter three and start again in chapter four, verse one. Creator sets free was now filled with the Holy Spirit. From the river flowing down, the Spirit guided him into the desert wilderness, a dry and lonely place filled with wild animals and many other dangers. There, for 40 days, he would be put to the test by accuser, Satan, the evil trickster snake. In the story of creation, um, this is like just a little blurb that the First Nations version gives to give us a reminder. In the story of creation, the first man and woman lived in the garden of beauty and harmony. The evil trickster snake came to them and twisted the words of the great spirit to deceive them. They listened to the snake, lost the life of beauty and harmony, and fell under the curse of death, both physical and spiritual. This snake is an evil spirit, sometimes called accuser who opposes the good things creator wants for all two-legged. For 40 days and nights, creator sets free, ate nothing. His body became weak and his hunger grew strong. When the evil trickster snake saw that creator sets free, was weak and hungry, he came to him and whispered in his ear, are you the son of the great spirit? He hissed, prove it by turning these stones into fry bread. It is written in the sacred teachings Creator sets free said, fry bread is not the only food for two-legged. Once more, accuser took him up to a high mountain and in a moment of time showed him all the great nations of the world. All of their power and beauty can be yours, the snake said smoothly. They were given over to me and I can give them to anyone I choose. If you will bow down to me and my ways, they will all be yours. Go away from me. You evil trickster, he answered. For it also says in the sacred teachings, the great spirit is the only one to bow down to walk in his ways. Bow down too to walk in his ways. The evil snake took him to the great spirit's sacred lodge and village of peace, Jerusalem. He took him to the very top of the lodge, high above the village. Prove you are the son of the great spirit and jump down from here, the snake taunted him. Do not... The sacred teachings also say his spirit messengers will watch over you to keep you from harm. They will not even let your foot hit a stone. Yes, creator sets free said back to him, but they also say do not put the great spirit to a foolish test. This is the word of the Lord. Um, this is like a very silly quick aside, but did anyone else, when, when this is like a super familiar story. Okay. <laughs> But when anyone else is like listening or hearing the story, do they think of that scene from the Chronicles of Narnia movie where Aslan meets the White Witch at the stone table? <laughs> and he's like, she says something to him and he's like, don't cite the deep magic to me, witch. <laughs> You're just like, like Jesus has Liam Neeson's voice in this scene for me, it's fine. <laughs> school, school, school. Okay, there's a couple of things to pay attention to, I think. Um, in this, this passage this morning. 
Um, and the first thing is actually um, about the part we didn't read. <laughs> and so in our passage today, we've begun by seeing Jesus kind of step into this role publicly that he has. And the way he does so is really important. Instead of a grand display of power or political presentation, he gets baptized by John. And this activity, this way he goes about it, seems not only acceptable to God, but is like incredibly pleasing to God. God delights in it. God declares that this that, uh, day that Jesus is their son and it makes their heart glad. Then there is this chunk of text before chapter 4 that is just genealogy. It looks a lot like those big passages of text in the First Testament that like when you're reading them, your eyes glaze over and you just kind of turn the page slowly like, I totally read that and move on <laughs> until the story starts back up again. And while we didn't read this section today, <laughs> I want to mention it because in this passage, we see the genealogy of Jesus go clear back to Adam, the first son of God. And it feels a little out of place when you're just reading the story straight through, honestly, that God declares God's delight in Jesus and then this like chunk of genealogy and then Jesus just like jumps right into the wilderness with Satan. But some commentators have suggested that it's quite purposeful the way that it's done. While thoughts and feelings about what happened in the garden vary widely in theology, the mention of Adam takes us back to that time and place. And motivation, situational circumstances, blame aside, when we go back to the garden, we see the first declared good, capital G, good, children of God make a choice that separates them from their creator parent. They walk a road that is not good. And by contrast, we see here Jesus rewriting that story. Jesus, the next declared capital G good child of God, walks a different path. Rather than making a choice that might separate him from his parent, Jesus chooses to walk straight into challenge and declare that he will not be tempted, that we also do not have to succumb to temptation. And it feels to me like here Jesus is pushing directly against that narrative that we are just simply a fallen people, and so by nature we will be sinful and suffer always. Jesus, Christ in flesh, shows us a new reality, that our story isn't written in stone this way. It would be great if the rest of the story continued for Jesus to illustrate for us in chapter 4 that that road is easy. But he doesn't, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Why would he? Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who we celebrate tomorrow, had some thoughts on this particular passage of text. text and I do want to mention that there's a danger in quoting Dr. King today <laughs> um, or like during Black History Month or any of these moments because it can feel inauthentic and opportunistic. Um, remembering his words and thoughts requires more of us than just repeating them. And I share them today with the belief that we as a community have tried to honor his hopes and dreams and also a challenge to us to continue to do so. In a sermon in the early 50s, Dr. King said, the spiritual strength and moral courage of Jesus amid the temptation in the wilderness is our eternal challenge. 
Jesus was born in a time when the majority of people thought of the kingdom as a political kingdom and thought of the Messiah as the one who would restore this political kingdom with all of his power and pomp and riches. And all of the temptations that Satan offered Christ were temptations to fall in line with this type of material political kingdom. In other words, he was urging Christ to conform to the wishes of the mob. But in the midst of such a plea, we can hear Christ saying in no uncertain terms, get behind me, Satan, as if to say, I will not bow, for I have orders from an authority not of this world to build a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom that will one day rock the world, a kingdom that will shake the hinges from the gates of the Roman Empire. It will not be a kingdom political in structure and materialistic in outlook. It will be a kingdom of the spirit. I realize that at this time, this kingdom does not conform to the majority opinion. But I will not bow. Who will take the attitude of Jesus and be a sincere nonconformist, Dr. King says. Today, we stand on the brink of moral and physical destruction, and the great need of the hour is sincere nonconformity. Men who will stand amid a world that attempts to solve its problems by war and declare that he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Who this afternoon will go away with determination not to be a slave to the crowd and not to bow to the desires of the mob. Remember, Christian friends, we are now in the colony of time, but our ultimate allegiance is to the empire of eternity. And he ends by quoting Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. At the very end of that sermon, he has this little note in the transcript, in parentheses, that says, nonconformity is costly. I must admit this. And I don't know if those parentheses are there in that transcript because he didn't have thoughts fully formed and maybe the, the, the piece of writing that we have is, is not complete, or maybe it is complete and he thought, oh, maybe I don't want to fully lean into the buzzkill that can be to commit to nonconformity quite yet. But parentheses are not. I think it's maybe the most important part of that sermon that he gave. We can get excited and feel rest when we focus on the way that Jesus rewrites our destinies here in chapter 3 and in the beginning of chapter 4 that we're not simply a fallen people, that we do have the opportunity to walk the good road. But then when we see what that means, it would be absurd to not mention just how hard and scary and confusing that road will be. Starting at his baptism in this passage, Jesus is breaking away from what should have been um, his journey if he had conformed to the cultural expectations of him at the time. Then, to make it cl more clear that he is not going to conform to those expectations, he just keeps going a little bit further down this very hard road. He walks into the wilderness and suffers. Each of the things that he says no to were things that would have made it easier for people at the time to accept him as their savior, as the son of God, as Christ. But here, Jesus shows us that the kingdom that we are building is not one that comes with riches and crowns and empire. It's not a kingdom that is focused on power and domination. 
there's an interesting specific example that came to mind specifically because we're reading the First Nations version. When accusers' um, insistence that Jesus turn stones to fry bread um, came up, it, it made me think of this like example of how um, conformity continues to hurt people today. While fry bread is one of the most delicious things in the world, um, there is an indigenous movement to move away from making it and sharing it as a part of indigenous culture because it's kind of the ultimate colonizer food. The only reason fry bread exists is because it was able to be made with rations given to tribes as they were relocated in different places around the country. It provides a lot of calories to help them make a journey, but no other nutritional value. And so its continued existence in many tribal communities contributes to the massive amounts of health concerns that plague those communities. And it is unfortunately still some of the only food that's able to be made when, when folks on those um, reservations are still receiving rations from the government. And so we have this example of how conformity still harms people today. Dr. King saw the ways that our tradition, our Christian tradition, had conformed. In his sermon here, he's speaking to the individuals in his own church. But we know of all the times he spoke to those leading institutions, particularly those leading white churches. And he knew the burden he was encouraging us to pursue. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the challenges on the good road when he walks into the desert. So Dr. King doesn't either. Nonconformity is costly. I know that this family knows that. I think we're acutely aware of the cost of nonconformity. The costs of our own nonconformity haven't been completely renovated with this building. And I also hope that today we're able to see a glimpse of the kingdom that is created when we say no to being slaves of the crowd and don't bow to the desires of the mob. That just as God delighted in Jesus' nonconformity, God delights in ours. Today I am so humbled to celebrate with you all, to share my gratitude that even I am aware of my belonging in this kingdom because this family said no to what made sense, to what would have been so much easier, the road that would have been nicer, honestly, than the one that we have walked. And it's from that place of gratefulness that I think pushes me to remember that there is so much more kingdom building to do. And so today we still must commit to continue to say no to empire and yes to the opportunities that will allow us to keep building. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking as a family about the places and spaces that we can support on this good road that we walk. And while it's exciting for us to be in the position to do so, it's important for us to remember the ways that we still need to challenge our own proclivities 
to cling to empire when we are nervous or afraid. To pay attention to the moments that we start to conform to what might be expected, maybe to those moments where that big number in our bank account might become more important than our neighbors. In those moments, may we be reminded of the joy and gladness for God and us that comes when the kingdom is made even just the tiniest bit bigger. Amen. If you'd like to scroll down or look down at your Lord's Table Liturgy,